gathered together from the far reaches of the internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero, Superman. Superman. The Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, Golden Age Superman, The Superman Fan Podcast, Superman in the Bronze Age, From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. I've got a few things to say about Superman. The Superman Vidcast, the world's best podcast, and Radio Kale from supermanhomepage.com. As well as the audio dramas Superman, Last Son of Krypton, and Supergirl, Last Daughter of Krypton from Pendant Audio Productions. Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer, J. David Weeder, Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, Scott Gardner, Cayman Stoll, I'm Isaac, I'm Adam, Dave Yunus, and co-host Scotty V. At supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Rocketed as a being from the exploding planet Krypton, Kal-El grew to manhood on Earth, whose yellow sun and lighter gravity gave him fantastic superpowers. In the city of Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil all over Earth and beyond as Superman. Superman. Hey there, and welcome to episode 45 of Superman of the Bronze Age. As always, my name is Charlie Meyer, and once we get to the pre-recorded part of the episode, I'll be joined by my co-host, J. David Weeder. But before we get to that, did you know that you can earn 5% from your Comixology orders if you order them through DCBS? It's true. Just use the buttons on the DCBS homepage at www.dcbservice.com to place your Comixology orders, and you will earn 5% of those orders to apply toward your other DCBS orders. If you mention this show, it won't really get you any discounts, so you probably don't want to bother wasting your time. So let's play some promos, and we'll be right back with the final part of Man or Superman. After these messages, we'll be right back. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's supermanhomepage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. Supermanhomepage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. Supermanhomepage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the man of steel and more superman homepage.com the hulk on podcasts hulk like podcasts hulk listen to podcasts while hulk smash the hulk on peter david hulk like to read peter david comics hulk have problem making words hulk write down Peter David wrote a seminal run on the Incredible Hulk for 12 years. Some of the most provocative, compelling stories came from this era, filled with striking psychological overtones, bold character developments, and sharp humor. 
along with artists like Todd McFarlane, Dale Keown, and Gary Frank, Peter David took the Incredible Hulk and the comic book medium as a whole to new heights. The Hulk on Peter David Podcasts. Uh, Hulk not find Peter David Podcasts. Hulk get mad. Hulk smash! Hey folks, in order to appease the Rampaging Hulk, there is an Incredible Hulk podcast devoted to Peter David. Pad Smash, an Incredible Hulk podcast, looks at the entire Peter David run on the Hulk, issue by issue in a bi-weekly format. Join me, J. David Weeder, on a journey through the saga of old J. Jaws at www.incrediblehulksmash.com. Incredible Hulk and all related characters copyright Marvel Comics. Pat Smash is not responsible for gamma radiation sickness, smashed MP3 players, overturned vehicles, tanks thrown through the ceiling, injured supervillains on the lawn, gamma bomb detonations, property damage from debris, deep-rooted psychological damages as a result of intense child abuse resulting in an alternate self-destructive personality with the strength of an atom bomb, or anal leakage. The founding of a family. You know we haven't done enough research into the effects of cosmic rays. We've got to take that chance. Conditions are right tonight. Let's go. They're penetrating the ship. Our shielding isn't strong enough. I feel like I'm burning up. Too heavy. Can't move. Too heavy. We're all alive. I feel so strange. You're fading away. I can't see you at all anymore. Look what's happening to you. You're... Angel. Oh, Reed, not you too. What happened to me? To all of us? I can fly. We gotta use that power to help mankind, right? And so was born the Fantastic Four. For soon the Mole Man will have the entire world in his power. I am the mightiest living mortal on Earth. And half mankind shall feel that might. The Fantastic Four. Little do they dream they're the palms in the hands of Dr. Doom. Human Torch will be the puppet master's next victim. You athletes can't change the way I can. That means I'm the most powerful person on Earth. I've been expecting you. For I am the thinker. I vow never to return, my lord, until the Fantastic Four are no more and the Phantom Earth is no more. You're in the presence of the awesome Ravatons, King of Kings, Master of Men, and Lord of the Seven Sons. You're just a muscular freak. Blind or hulk. Stop! You must not end on the castle of Diablo. My journey has ended. This planet shall sustain him to the drain of all elemental life. So speak Galactus. Flame on! It's clobbering time! The Fantastic Four from the very beginning witnessed the origins of a legend. The Fantastic Cast. FFCast.Libsyn. But we do have a hostess ad. I almost didn't see it because it's on the inside cover this yep. time for some reason. It was very bizarre. Uh, but we have another Batman adventure, Batman and Twinkieless Gotham City. We open up on <laughs> the Penguin with a guy with his hands in his pockets. Looks like he's playing with himself. He's got a little bit of bulgeage going on there. Yeah, he does. And he's smiling, too. Like, the penguin doesn't totally notice me touching myself. 
but the penguin's like, <laughs> but the penguin's like, I'll ruin, the, I'll ruin this town. Gotham City will be t- Twinkieless. I have hoarded all the Twinkies by hypnotizing the Twinkies delivery men. And Commissioner Gordon says, Batman, this is terrible. All the most Twinkies have disappeared from Gotham City. We need your help desperately. Emergency, Robin. Get to the Batmobile. My seatbelt's as good as fastened. <laughs> so then they're driving towards, I guess, the scene of the crime. <laughs> We're going to get one of these when we don't laugh, I swear to God. What do you think would be so foul as to do such a dastardly trick, Batman? No fiend would be so foul except, yes, the Penguin. Penguin, release the Twinkies delivery men from their spell. Never! No one will ever get any Twinkies. Including at the prison where you'll be. (laughs) And his his perverted henchman, who still looks like he has his hands in his pockets as Batman's tying him up, says, Please tell him I've got to have my Twinkies. Golden sponge cake with creamy filling inside. What could be more delicious than a hostess Twinkie? Except more Twinkies! Let's go. Okay, okay. <laughs> you get a big delight in every bite of Hostess Twinkies. Hey! <laughs> Gotta bring out the Batman music again, I guess. Oh, my God. <laughs> and we're back with the final part of Man or Superman. In Superman number 299, cover dated May 1976, with an on-sale date of February 12th. 1976, just before Valentine's Day. And the story title is The Double or Nothing Life of Superman. Written by Carrie Bates and Elliot S. Magan, penciled by Kurt Swan, inked by Bob Oxner, and of course edited by Mr. Julie Schwartz. Okay, now we're going to start off the story with Agent X- XVR. Wow, I keep doing that. With Agent Xavier. Is that how we say it? Xavier? Xavier? How are we saying that? Xavier. <laughs> Thank you. We begin the story with Agent... <coughs> excuse me, Agent Cough. We begin the story with Agent Ziviar and Superman bringing us up to speed over the events of the last three issues. As he finishes with his part of the recap, Ziviar sets out the space jewels, which will allow him to teleport the nine biggest reasons for Superman to be anywhere, then activates the burglar alarm on the front doorknob. In the fortress, Superman has made his big decision when the alarms go off, indicating trouble in Clark's apartment. A quick check with his telescopic vision reveals, to Superman's amazement, that Lex Luthor, Brainiac, Terra Man, Mr. Mixias Pitalik, Toy Man, the Prankster, Amalak, Parasite, and Kryptonite Man are all just sitting around Clark's apartment chatting like they're at some kind of a party. Flying to Metropolis at super speed, he arrives at the apartment in no more than a second, but that's long enough for them to have all disappeared. Suddenly, Superman gets a mental flash that three of them are in the Egyptian pyramids, and so he leaves. And XVR... Nope, that's not how we're calling it. That's how I always called it. That's why I keep doing that. And as he leaves, Xavier returns to silently gloat that things are working out exactly as planned. See... While he was getting the mental image, Superman was also hit with an energy beam that will turn him into a super bomb once he uses enough of his super energy. And guess how much energy that would be. In Egypt, Superman is able to knock Terraman off of a pyramid, but he's caught in the sidecar of Toyman's motorcycle. 
Then, Prankster shoots him with a giant spring that conforms to Superman's body and continues to tighten. Then, even flexing doesn't break it, so Superman dives into the ground and emerges again covered in the ensuing oil geyser, because this is the Middle East, and if there's one thing they've got a lot of there, apparently, it's oil. The oil allows him to slip out of the spring, and he is able to catch up to the villains at super speed, rearranging the motorcycle into a quote-unquote do-it-yourself slammer. As he takes the villains back to America and prison, Zivyar sends Superman another mental image of where the next three villains are, but Superman heads to Metropolis instead. As he promised last issue, it appears that the prosecution cannot successfully prove their case against Intergang without Clark Kent's testimony. So after grabbing a suit from the WGBS wardrobe, because it's closer than his apartment, Clark Kent shows up and delivers a devastating testimony that will mean the end of Intergang and ensure a long sentence for each of the agents. But when Clark tries to run off to avoid the questions from the other reporters, he ends up dashing away at super speed. But there's no time to think about this now because he's got to go take care of the next three villains, Parasite, Mixias Pitalik, and Luther. In the Rocky Mountains, Superman comes up on Mr. Mixias Pitalik, who uses his abilities to make Superman's head and hands invisible. Basically, I think it makes his whole body invisible, but all we can see are his head and hands, so that's what I went with. Uh, as this is happening, Superman finds himself getting weaker and weaker as he is forced to land. At this point, Parasite boasts that he's developed the ability to absorb energy from a distance. Meanwhile, Luther comes up from behind and fires his Quasar Blaster at the Man of Steel. But quickly, Superman dives into the ground, allowing the blast to miss him and hit Parasite. He loves it, and demands more, and rushes towards Luther, absorbing so much energy that Luther can't turn off the gun. And he mentions that too much power is being taken too quickly, which leads to a backfire explosion that knocks out both of the villains. Busting up from the ground, Superman creates a small sonic boom which knocks a small rock off the nearby mountain so that it hits, Mix it, so that it hits Mixias Pitalik on the head, knocking him out. This restores Superman, and he is able to return the villains to prison, then heads back to Clark's apartment. After examining his clothes with microscopic vision, he discovers that every thread of clothing in his closet had been treated with a chemical that counteracts the rays of a yellow sun, effectively sunscreening him and turning off his powers. But before he can even ponder who knows his, his secret identity and would do such a thing, he gets another mental image of the location of Brainiac and Amalak. In a forest, Brainiac blasts Superman with a force field designed to keep Superman in. Amalek blasts Superman with his star cannon, which not only enters the force field, but is also intensified by the field, bringing Superman much pain. The action ace then busts into Brainiac's ship, where the energy from the star cannon clashes with the energy in the cosmic engine, which causes a large short-circuit explosion. Superman then builds a protective bubble and takes the villains to a galactic prison compound on the outer rim of the solar system. Returning to Earth, Superman gets another mental image of where Kryptonite Man is, but this time he uses his microscopic vision to trace the mental image to a beam coming from Mr. Xavier's apartment, where, as, where Xavier appears to be napping. After taking a quick look around to look for clues as to why Xavier did all this, he heads to Metropolis Park to confront Kryptonite Man. Kryptonite Man doesn't really do anything to go... But, uh, to, yeah, 
Super Kryptonite Man doesn't really do anything but goad Superman into battle, since just his mere presence can kill the Man of Steel. Nevertheless, Superman runs right up to the villain, not knowing that at this point, using any more of his super energy will cause him and most of the Earth to explode. We see him go about... Oh, we see him about to punch Kryptonite Man right in the face, but we cut to the planet known only as Homeworld, and the lack of a planetary explosion does not go unnoticed. Back at the park, we see Superman standing over an unconscious Kryptonite Man, revealing via Thought Balloon that since uh, uh, yeah, that since Ziviar had tampered with his wardrobe, he played it safe and used his X-ray vision to check the rest of his apartment out and found the devices that had turned him into a walking impact bomb. But since he still needed to stop Kryptonite Man, he put on his Clark Kent clothes under his uniform, which still somehow maintained its skin-tight abilities, uh, which means he had no powers. This not only prevented the Kryptonite from hurting him, but it also means that he was able to take out Kryptonite Man with one solid, non-super punch. Hours later, after the buildup of energy has worn off, Superman returns to the Galactic Prison, where he reveals that Amalak was actually Ziviar in disguise. He'd switched places with the villain after his defeat, and was going to wait safely in the prison to be picked up by his superiors. But they won't be picking him up because of his failure. Meanwhile, on Homeworld, those same superiors now live in fear that Superman would one day track them down. Soon, things return to normal in Metropolis. We see Steve uh, being nothing but trouble to Clark. Edge is back to ordering Clark around like before, and Lois is left to wonder what happened that made Clark act so different. But as Clark gets into an elevator, he changes to Superman and flies up, up, and away, thinking that while he'd tried to decide if whether it was Clark or Superman that was more important, he realized that to get rid of one would be to kill half of himself. So even before he'd figured out his power problem, he decided that, that he would continue to walk the streets as Clark Kent, while up in the sky, the world would still watch and thrill to the sight of a job for Superman. Yay! Yay! Da, 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 da. Really? Really? That needs to be in there? Uh, I know. That was a perfect ending to the great story, I thought. Well, that little scene. I thought so. That last I, and I thought that really... Well, this whole issue was... And I, I, I'm starting to wonder if, if Carrie Bates and Elliot S. Magan split issues. They probably worked on the outline, and then one would write every other issue or something, because the... Odd-numbered issues seem to be a lot more dense than the even number, mm-hmm. which show this tells me that there's some sort of difference in in pacing. Like one plotted and like one issue, Bates would plot and Magan would script, and then the next one, Magan would plot and Bates would script. Absolutely correct. Okay. Well, excuse me. That I don't know. All I know for a fact is. Uh, the comics, the Grand Comics database states that Bates plotted all of them, and Megan scripted all of them, and I believe the Krypton Chronicles stated that the the same thing. They might have actually plotted it together, but Megan was the scripter on all of it. No, okay. I think that's what it said. I don't have the book out to actually look it up right now. Yeah, mine's <laughs> over there. It's buried. <laughs> Yeah, but I want to say that's what he said, but I I don't, I mean, it could very well, it's been 30 years, 40 years, 30, 
20, 30, it's been about like 37, 36 years since then. So it, it's possible that they could be remembering wrong. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for pointing out how long it's been. This was made a year before I was I was born, so. This isn't that old. This is a this fairly recent story, really, if you think about it. That's a very good good way to take it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's surprising that this was issue two ninety nine because I think the gathering of Superman's greatest foes could have been an event for issue three hundred. Oh yeah, if this had been something from post crisis, like in the nineties or even the early 2000s. This definitely would have been a four-issue story building up to the big 300. Mm -hmm. And then not only that, but he would have changed to an electric blue Superman at the end. It's called Ending Battle. There you go. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly. I actually did have that thought process. I enjoyed this a lot more than Ending Battle because I'm not a fan of that storyline. But I thought, you know, it all comes down to him fighting his most well-known enemies it it seemed a little disproportionate that he was able to take them all down, hit that court date. It was just, I know he's Superman and all, but it was like, dude, uh, you have a hard time sometimes going up against Luthor if he has a good plot or Brainiac if he's shrinking stuff. Yeah, to have them all in one day is a bit too much for me. I, I think it's a, it's a, as as cool as this story was. I think it's an issue like this that is get, what gets writers to think that Superman's hard to write. Mm-hmm. Because he took out nine villains in a single issue, and it's actually less than that because he also spent time figuring out the plot and taking care of the court thing as as Clark and stuff. So yeah, I, I mean, it was cool, but I it's that's the kind of story that makes them think that you know Superman can do anything, so that makes it hard to write him. Yeah, I thought the most genius way that he took out a villain was Kryptonite Man. He used what was, you know, plotted to go against what's, you know, against Superman and made it a strength. Mm-hmm. Because, oh, I don't have my powers. Oh, look, I can use that because I'm not going to be affected by the Kryptonite. Fantastic. <laughs> I didn't have a whole lot of page by page. It was too dense for me to sit down. But the the the, the final exception is to that is the last page that we, we I mean we both talked about. I mean, yeah, where's where's the music? Where's the John Williams music? Yeah. That was it's it's, it's a pretty epic page right there. Yeah, it says everything and that just kind of put the right button on this story for me. Mhm. And just got me, you know, kind of retroactively got me back into the issue. So I went back and reread it knowing, you know, it's leading up to that point. Completely mm-hmm. different experience. Fantastic experience. And on a completely different note, this is it was kind of this issue and uh well this page and stuff that made me be like, I don't want to stop re- doing this because <laughs> this is the kind of cool stuff that they're still left to do. Yeah. So yeah, I'll cut that out though because they don't need to know I was going to quit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, you can continue. No, that's it. That that was that was. Oh, that's whole, all you had. I didn't have a lot on this. It just. At least not page by page. I couldn't really pick it apart except for that a uh, little too many villains in one spot. Yeah. Well, um, I, I I liked the recap on pages. See this this one isn't numbered as nicely as the others. Uh, two through four uh, has a recap that actually um, 
it's actually done pretty well because they use both Zivier and Superman to do it. They do the first half, which basically covers parts one and two of the story, is told by Zivier. And then the f- part three, which Zivier wouldn't really know about because it's all Superman being Superman, is all done by him, by Superman. So that was really cool, too. So they were able to get the whole thing re- um, all... You're able to get caught up to speed, but they have an interesting way of bringing you up to speed. There you go. Plus, he's writing in his Kryptonian dictionary, or Kryptonian dictionary, Kryptonian diary. And I don't think we've seen that yet. Have we not? I thought we would have seen that. No, Silver Age. No, well, I mean, you and I haven't covered it, seen it yet. Oh, okay, on the show. I'm sorry. Yes, sorry. yes. No problem. But um, page four. Um, there is a part, though, that says that, where Superman says, but I've learned why both lives, man and Superman, have serious drawbacks to be considered, and now I have to make a decision. But on the last page of the last issue, it said, and I've made my decision. So, we apparently we went back a little bit. Apparently. Flip-flop. Which is unfortunate, but that's okay. Um, page five. Like I said in my synopsis, I thought it was inter- funny. The uh, This image... It's a cool, almost what, three-quarter page splash, and they're all just standing there talking. Uh, Lex is in a chair, or this is all the villains in Clark's apartment. Um, Kryptonite Man is just sitting, looks like maybe by the window or something, just by himself, staring off to the left. Luther and Brainiac are sitting there. Luther's in a chair, super, and uh, Brainiac's on the uh, footstool. And they're just sitting there talking to each other. Terra Man and Toy Man are talking to each other. Uh, Prankster is messing with Mixius Pitalik's uh, hat, bowler. And Amalak and Parasite are just kind of standing to the side being purple. Yeah, it's kind of so, some weird, awkward yeah. high school party. <laughs> well, it kind of it kind of makes sense, too, because Brainiac and Luther have met before, and they're the older villains. Uh, Terra Man and this Toy Man are from the 70s, so they're the new guys. Um, this is, if anyone, if you've ever seen Super Friends and saw Super and saw Toy Man on there, that's the that's the Toy Man we're talking about here, not the chubby William Shot. Was he Winslow Shot? Winslow. Wow. Yes, Winslow Mortimer Shot. No, this is I don't even remember this guy's name. But he's the young guy in that weird costume that he wears on Super Friends. So these guys, so that makes sense. And of course, Prankster and Mixias Pitalik are from similar ideas. And then Parasite, I don't think, has been seen since the late 60s at this point. And I would imagine the same with Amalek. So that makes sense that they'd be together. Plus they wear purple, so it just works. So it kind of makes sense that they'd be grouped that way, but yeah, it, all they're missing is someone coming through with like a tray with some drinks and stuff, or hors d'oeuvres. Actually, Amalek's standing there smiling at Prankster messing with Mixer, Mr. Mixias Pitalik. The detail Swan puts in here is actually pretty cool. Yeah. it's And, and, and we mentioned how crisp it is when inked by, uh, it's gone, help me. Oxner. Oxner. <laughs> and that just kind of really continues here. With mm-hmm. that detail, I think Oxner really brought a lot of new things out in Kurt Swan. Yes. I love uh, I actually like these guys especially by this point they'd actually been working together. I mean, when they first when Oxner first started inking, he was a little rough mm-hmm. on Swan. But this is 
somewhat near the end of when they start of when of their little I think they start in 74 I want to say and this is near the end of when they're working together and so by this time they were gelling really well so it looked really cool um, and then I don't have another note until page 17 um, actually yes I do let's see actually before that <coughs> excuse me page 16 it looks to me like Superman's landing from the sky so I'm wondering at what point he put the Clark Kent costume on, outfit in, on. But if it's Superman, and knowing Superman lore, it just dawned on me, he may have had the costume in his cape pouch and put it on at super speed after he landed. Therefore making it look not... Therefore you wouldn't have noticed. But it is pretty cool that um, with the Clark Kent suit on, he's wearing a full suit. Uh, no, it doesn't have the tie or the jacket, but he's got the dress pants and the collared dress shirt. That even under, he's got it under tights and the tights, you wouldn't even know he was wearing anything under his tights. They're very form-fitting still. Yeah. A little bit of a leap in logic, but I'm okay with it. Yeah. That's a typical comics thing, though. I mean, it's like Batman wearing a face mask over his Batman mask when the ears, you would think, would be poking up and messing up the mask. Yeah. <laughs> but no. No, not at all. Uh, but page 17, also, um, since he's still Kryptonian, because all all this stu- all the Clark Kent clothes do is screen the sun out. Well, screen radiation. Solar... Right. Well, just the yellow solar radiation, though. No. Yeah, maybe, I guess. I didn't think about that. I don't know. I don't know. It just uh, since he's still Kryptonian, that Kryptonite should still have hurt him. But I also wonder how how Carrie Bates felt having his creation that he keeps bringing back over and over and over again in the seventies, Terraman, getting basically beat up so quickly by Superman in this one. And if he plotted it, that means he knew it was going to happen. So I just wonder. Uh, every thread of clothing here has been treated with some unearthly chemical, which counteracts the rays of the yellow sun. So that's all it says. Okay, fair enough. Okay, but not that I was trying to prove you wrong. I was just trying to double check it myself before oh, I make sure it sound like a complete idiot. Yeah, exactly. But um, yeah, it's kind of sad that yeah. So, so basically, he he still should have been really weak. So it should have been very non super punch that he hit him with, which kind of makes Kryptonite Man look even weaker. Um, but I love the ending, like we've said, and I thought it was a great exclamation point on this fun story. Mm-hmm. I agree completely. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> I actually had a little bit of a note here. Uh, as I mentioned these issue, as I mentioned a couple episodes ago, these issues make up my favorite Superman story from the Bronze Age. Possibly ever, but definitely from the Bronze Age. Um, and it's kind of cool because this. I also think of this story as a bit of a turning point for the Bronze Age. And I don't I don't know how much you've read of the Bronze Age, but you can agree or disagree. But basically, uh, up until this point, it, um, well, starting back from what seventy, late seventy two, early seventy three, basically every Superman story told in action and Superman was written by either Elliot S. Magan or Carrie Bates. The only two, most of them were done in ones, 
and but they did you know continue things like there was still some mystery about Mr. Xavier there was still um the apartment the other people in the apartment they brought they worked on them uh, but by by this point they had been pretty much the only writers of Superman and action and this showcased all of the best parts of their era on the book and they also brought the four-year-old mystery to an end with Mr. Xavier and after this story there would be a whole bunch of changes uh, to the stories that would be told in the book I mean because after this they start bringing in some other writers Jerry Conway comes in Martin, Marty Pasco comes in and stuff Elliot S. Magan actually takes some time off from the books until closer to time for the reboot, uh, actually. I think they do the next issue together, the uh, Superman 300. But then Elliot uh, does a few more issues, but he leaves and does things like the two Superman novels, last was it Last Son of Krypton and Miracle Monday? Yes. Uh, so he goes off and does those, so he's not going to be on the books for a while. Carrie Bates stays on, uh, and basically he gets action... And then Jerry Conway and Marty Pasco come in, and there's some time that Len Wein will come back, and they'll take care of Superman for a while. And then, yeah, so Superman's going to go through a bunch of changes after this. Uh, it's also uh, is the first time, other than an occasional appearance by Luther or uh, Brainiac, and one or two uh, appearances by Mixius Pitalik. This also is this after this is when they start bringing back the supervillains, which could, in my mind, th- uh, be because of the fact that by this point, 1976, I believe that a certain movie was announced. Yes, I'm pretty sure. Oh, so yeah. you know, you want to bring back some of the big stuff, some of the big guns and big stuff you've got with Superman when you're going to have a big movie coming out. So after this, we're going to have things like Kryptonite coming back. Um, new supervillains, the return of older supervillains, uh, the Winslow shot toy man's going to come back, and Bizarro comes back. Uh, and they come back, you know, tougher and more deadly than before. Um, the, uh, there's a new criminal organization. Marty Pasco's going to introduce something called ongoing subplots. So they're going to have different, you know, different things. Uh, Lana Lang comes back. They do a whole bunch of big stuff, and this so this is kind of the bookend to an era, a, a a smaller portion of the Bronze Age era, in my opinion. A sub era, an era within a an era. Exactly. Yes. <coughs> Excuse me. The Bates Magan era. Uh, but like I said, Magan does come back eventually because uh, he comes back to work on Superman 400, and does some of the other books up until the reboot. Exactly, and Sorry. Bates stays on. No problem. Bates stays on up until the reboot. So, yeah, they're, they're, we haven't heard the last from them, but I just wanted to point that out because this is such a big, big deal in that regard. And no one, and ironically, this has only been reprinted one time. Uh, for such an awesome story, excuse me, and kind of a big turning point. Excuse me again, man. Such a big turning point for the Bronze Age of Superman. This has only been reprinted one time. Which we were talking about before recording, and that's incredible to me. Mm-hmm. But it uh, it sort of makes sense since it's a four-part story, so it can't be thrown in with anything else, really. 
but you would think maybe I don't know with a, next time a Superman movie comes out maybe it would be a good time to have some kind of story like this reprinted well they haven't even gotten this far in the uh, showcase books are they even still doing the showcase books I don't think the yeah I think they I, they are because I've okay. been seeing more and more that I wasn't aware of okay I don't remember reading about them in many of the solicit stuff yet, but I don't know. I don't. After once we get past like Wonder Woman in their alphabetical listings, I usually kind of just scroll to the toys or the yeah. action figures. Sorry. <laughs> so, but um, like I said, these were all reprinted one time in a collection called the Great Superman Comic Book Collection, which is actually a pretty rare book featuring older stories that were reprinted on a higher quality paper. And also basically recolored in a higher quality coloring job. Basically, if you... Oh, and I don't know. <coughs> Excuse me. Basically, if you've ever read a book like Superman 30s to the 70s, or Superman 30s to the 80s, or, I don't know, Batman 30s to the 70s, or Batman 30s to the 80s, uh, each of those books had a few color pages on a glossy kind of paper that are reprinted in a nice color that's vibrant and looks much more modern than than you would be used to seeing on newsprint of the day that's what I'm talking about that's how these looked very vibrant colors very well done um have you read any of those books no wait oh okay i'm i'm just laughing cuz i looked up the showcase presents they made a showcase presents ambush bug <laughs> okay <laughs> I thought they were doing older stuff, but that's that's well, that's yeah, fine. They're, they're jumping around. There, there is some coming in April 2012. There's an All Star uh, Showcase presents All Star Squadron, which yes, kind of psychs me out. Awesome. Yeah, is that the first volume? Volume one, yep. Sweet. They have an All Star Comics out there already. Anyway. Hmm? Oh, okay, okay. All Star Comics. That's different. Okay, uh, but this book, I went ahead looked it up because, you know, as such, as rare as this book is, there's not too many. Uh, places where you can find out what the heck was in this book. So I'm going to go out there and let you know what it is. First up in this book, they had The Origin of Superman, reprinted from The Amazing World of Superman, which was a comic book that DC did for the very first Metropolis celebration. This story was written by E. Nelson Bridwell, with Kurt Swan and Murphy Anderson on the art, and layouts were by Carmine Infantino. So the art is still very Kurt Swanish, but is it's a little bit of a little different feel to it. Uh, Adventures Comics number 271, featuring How Luther Met Superboy by Otto Bender and Al Plastino. Uh, Action Comics 252's The Supergirl from Krypton, which is, of course, the first appearance of Kara Zorel, a.k.a. Supergirl, which was written by Jerry Siegel and Al Plastino. Superman 141, which is Superman's Return to Krypton by Jerry Siegel, Wayne Boring, and Stan Kay. And yes, the entire story, all three chapters of that long issue. Uh, Superman's Girlfriend Lois Lane, number 14, Three Nights in the Fortress of Solitude by Otto Bender and Kurt Schaffenberger. And I haven't read that, but apparently it's a weird story. And it's three nights in the fortress and Superman's not there for most of it and apparently Lois gets locked in there or something I don't know it's a kind of weird from what I what I read about it Uh, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen number 16 The Boy of Steel 
by Otto Bender, Kurt Swan, and Ray Burnley, which isn't Superboy, but Jimmy gets superpowers thanks to Superman taking him to a nuclear explosion. Yeah, that's that's real. Uh, Superman 167, which is the team of Luther and Brainiac, which... Now, what I read gives Carrie Bates a plot credit. Basically, from what I've read, Carrie Bates provided the cover uh, showing super, uh, showing Luther and Brainiac working together, which is what got Mort Weisinger to say, this should be a story we write. And so he got Edmund Hamilton to write it, and Kurt Swan and George Klein to draw it, and that's how it worked. But if so, if you want to call him the plotter, go right ahead. And then the fi- and then of course it covers all four issues of this story, and so that's a pretty big book. And to me, I would probably nah. That's not bad. It's not some of the best stories ever, but uh, yeah, it's not bad. What do you think? A lot of them aren't necessarily the ones that would immediately pop to mind when I think Superman. Yeah, I wouldn't call some like. Like, uh, I don't know, the the Three Nights in the Fortress of Solitude, I wouldn't consider that to be part of the great Superman comic book collection. Mm-mm. I mean, there's Superman 233, which isn't in there. And thus ends our coverage of Man or Superman. Well, we hope you enjoyed our coverage of the story, and now for those little announcements I mentioned last episode. Uh, first up, I'm going to let David go with his. David? I'm gay. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so staying in. Um, no, <laughs> it just it felt dramatic. No, I am. Uh, I'm actually stepping down as the permanent co-host of Superman in the Bronze Age. I'll be back to visit Charlie from time to Better. time as we go into some of the newer. Well, I'll let Charlie cover that part. But I have a lot more writing jobs coming my way than I had expected, which is a good thing. But I need more time. So, you know, since the Bronze Age isn't necessarily my era, I'm going to hand the reins completely to Charlie. Uh, but Charlie and I will be working together again very soon. Uh, announcements still pending sometime in May. Yes, and I, for one, am looking very forward to that. Okay. Uh, my announcement is, um, <laughs> much like David, I, I am running, I, I don't have quite as much time as I used to, but because I, I still like the Bronze Age and... I don't do, like, four other podcasts and have a whole bunch of writing scripts lined up. I am just, I'm going to continue the show, but I'm going to cha- make some changes. Um, these are actually changes, though, that I'm pretty excited about, which should make the show a little more enjoyable for you as well as me. But uh, in order to set things up for that, I'm going to be taking a little bit of a break myself. Uh, for the next two months... Uh, the show will continue. You will there will st- still be new episodes posted. Uh, but what I'm going to do is kind of promote some of the other shows on the Superman Podcast Network. First up, I'm going to be presenting an episode of Billy Hogan's Superman Fan Podcast. And uh, just make sure you can continue to tune in. Uh, do, do you have anything else you wanted to say, David? Well, I want to thank you, Charlie. I want to thank you for bringing me on this show. I really enjoyed it. It is it's kind of it's kind of a you know sad goodbye. <laughs> oh, no, stop, stop crying. There's nothing more pathetic than that. But, know. you know, I want to thank you for letting me be on this show. I've really enjoyed it, and I look forward to doing episodes with you in the future um, once things get maybe settled down a little bit more. Well, th- again, thank you for coming on the show. Um, David came on at a time when I really needed help, and I want to thank you for being on here. And 
this way, it, allowing, allowing this show to be your bridge to continuing your Superman discussions, uh, since your show had gone away, and now you're on another Superman show. So, uh, and again, you can follow David on several other podcasts, uh, including the New Fifty Two Adventures of Superman. And uh, but yes, thank you again for com- for co-hosting the show. It was fun having you. And if you don't come back, I will hunt you down and get you. You, you kind of know right about where I live, so I'm a little terrified of that. And look for a big announcement regarding this show in, as I mentioned, in June or in May. With yeah, Just look for this show in June. <laughs> I can't <laughs> yeah, say too much go. now. I don't want to tease too much. And, and yes. But, yeah, we will be talking very shortly about uh, things and stuff. Yeah, there you go. But, yes... Uh, as I said, the show will continue. Will be continuing on. I will continue to update you on what I can update you on. There will be some changes, like I said, and we will keep you posted. But please, make sure you come back in two weeks to listen to Billy's show. And as Billy likes to say, grab our indestructible capes and crash the time barrier to the Silver Age of Superman. Thank you for listening to Superman in the Bronze Age, hosted by Charlie Niemeyer and J. David Weeder. Superman in the Bronze Age is a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com, where new episodes are posted bi-weekly. Episodes are posted at superbronze1970.libsyn.com, supermaninthebronzeage.blogspot.com, amazingworldofsuperman.com, and supermanhomepage.com. You can also subscribe to the show via the RSS feed and iTunes. All images characters and music used in the show are for entertainment purposes only no money is made by the show superman was created by jerry siegel and joe schuster thank you for listening and god bless Superman is also a copyrighted feature, appearing in the Superman DC publications. Because I never got a, a, a proper send-off on Superman Forever, I just want to tell you all, keep on fighting the never-ending battle. Do you enjoy time travel in general, and the Silver Age of comic books in particular? If so, join me each week on the Superman Fan Podcast... My name is Billy Hogan, and I will be your host. Together, we'll crash through the time barrier and fly into the past to explore the Silver Age adventures of Superman. One week, we will take a look at the Superman family of titles, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, World's Finest Comics, and soon, Superman's girlfriend Lois Lane. The next week, we will feature the Man of Steel's titles, Superman and Action Comics, which will include the Supergirl stories during her run in the back of that title. You can join me each week on Wednesday or Thursday at the supermanfanpodcast.blogspot.com, which is available on iTunes. And your emails are always welcome at supermanfanpodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to wear your red indestructible cape.